0: Fallon, your host here as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, also the uh, epicenter of uh, caucus chaos, which we are still recovering from and may never actually recover from. A quick shout out to our business partners here in the Des Moines Metro who helped make this program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch and supper. Gateway also has an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Cabaret and Jazz. Noche is Des Moines' premier location for jazz, cabaret, great music. Uh, Most nights of the week, located on uh, Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park. That's Noche Cabaret and Jazz. Also, thanks to Hawk Restaurant. That's H-O-Q Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served, even in the middle of the winter, comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. That's Hawk Restaurant. All right, welcome to the program. Later in the program, we're going to be talking about sustainable initiatives at the local level. We'll also talk about uh, how the faith community is fitting into the whole conversation about climate change and the broader concerns about justice and peace. But first, I want to welcome Brandy to our program. We're going to talk a little politics here. You know, I put out a blog last week, Brandy, that, um, that received uh, more attention than most of my blogs got. Uh, by, by quite a factor, in fact. And I, and I think it was because the title was Joe Biden and, and, the, and, the, and the Oligarchy. Uh, <laughs> and um, interestingly, people who responded, responded from both perspectives, saying that, you know, you know, you know Joe Biden's terrible. I'm never going to vote for him. Uh, you know, we better elect Bernie or, or you know, it, 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 there's no reason for me to go to the polls. And there were plenty of people who were upset that, that I was even, you know, criticizing Joe Biden. Now, what do you say? I mean, there's a lot of folks out there. I mean, I know it's it's, too—the race isn't over yet. It's over for everybody except Biden and Sanders. But it ain't over yet, and there's already a lot of conversation about, well, I'm not going to vote for Biden if he wins. And there's a lot of passion behind that.
1: Yes. What's
0: your perspective?
1: Hmm. I think the heart of the issue is that we have to support whoever— can make that, be on that party ticket. And the reason you have to do that is because if you really, truly do want change and you want something different um, than what you're seeing right now, you have to support that blue ticket. By
0: something different, now you mean Donald Trump's antics.
1: Yes. <laughs> if you don't want to be in, a, in this kind of society that we're seeing with the big the disparity growing between, economically, that is growing. Um, you know, even with the latest health issues. Um, you mean the
0: coronavirus?
1: Absolutely. I Don't think,
0: drink Corona beer. That's what causes
1: <laughs> it, right? Exactly. Or, you know, you can get a, the flu vaccine and they'll, they'll cure it. Um, <laughs> I, 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 people need to realize that we w- will only be as healthy as our, as the most unhealthy in our communities every time. So it's always going to be the underserved that we are, Overall, as a society, so, yeah, is healthy as. There's yes. no
0: argument that the underserved have been uh, dealt a pretty severe blow in America, and not just under this current administration, but mm-hmm. even under Democratic administrations. The mm-hmm. the gap between the rich and poor has continued to grow dramatically uh, to the point there's, there's nothing like it in our history. And, and so, but, but you know, but there are people who are saying, okay, I get that, and I understand how bad Trump is but i just can't bring myself to vote for say joe biden and you can fill in that blank with other candidates but he's the one right now other than bernie sanders who is on the in you know possibly going to get the nomination
1: yes absolutely how, how do, you, how, do you, how
0: do you respond to that
1: i think the end of the day is if if you yourself are a democrat and you say you can't vote for biden that's showing support for trump indirectly i understand but at the end of the day that is where that support is going to. But most
0: people even even though they may claim a party affiliation, mm-hmm. especially on the Democratic side, it's pretty it's pretty weak. It's not it's, there are yeah there's, there's a mm-hmm. handful of people who are passionate, died in the world Democrats. They're going to vote for whoever has a D under behind their name on the ballot. Mm-hmm. But that's a minority. It most is. Most people care more about issues and a, you know and, and other, the,
1: their economy. Yeah well,
0: and, not just the economy, but but climate change, health care. Uh, you know, daycare, elder care, there's a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of uh, burning concerns that are on people's mind and you know the party affiliation is really secondary to a lot of folks.
1: anymore. absolutely because I think that we really learned in 2016 and even to an extent in 2012 how not great a two-party system is um, and I think that a lot of folks have really opened their eyes to that and are really following their intuition and what their personal values and what candidate can align to their most important values in the best way. When we look at that, and in all honesty right now, Trump is gonna be really hard to beat regardless of who his Why do composition is so? because the economy is good.
0: But the coronavirus is taking down the economy. As
1: long as <laughs> as long you know, and it and it could be Trump's undoing. It really could, because we're gonna to start to see how he responds to that, we're going to start to see that the CDC can't have as big of a response without the money. Well, now we're pumping money into the CDC, so now people are going to start to see some economic downs compared to the record highs. But,
0: but, but even in response to your, your sense, mm. you're, you're saying that the economy is doing well. Who is it doing well for? I mean, Exactly. And I think most people are, are tired of seeing Wall Street profits go up as their own bottom line becomes more and more strapped.
1: But at the same time, those, fo- those same kind of folks are the same general group of folks that are saying that if it's Biden, they're not going to vote or they're going to write in a candidate. And that's, I think, a, a larger problem.
0: Well, it's, it's a problem for the Democratic Party, too, because when you've got such a strong element of the electorate that, uh, that feel uncommitted mm-hmm. to a candidate that they see as unrepresentative of their views— that's a problem, and you got, we, we might have the same problem on the other side if Bernie Sanders gets the nomination. Although I think it might be less because the uh, the uh, ideological, uh, ideologically passionate, and and again mm-hmm. not just not just that constituency, but the people who have been suffering the most in this vast shift of wealth from the from the from the poor and the middle class to the upper class. Those are the folks who are inclined to Sanders, and they also aren't inclined to, you know, to to be as flexible when it comes to being willing to vote for a candidate that they don't feel is going to really hear their need.
1: Yeah. You know, what is very interesting about Sanders is that at 77,
0: 78, I think. 78
1: years old. I know he looks
0: 77, but he he's actually 78.
1: Yes. He's managed to capture a lot of really young voters and supporters. I noticed that during caucuses, every sect that I saw of Bernie's uh, supporters now and before included a great number of young progressives, which I thought was really interesting with someone at that kind of age mm-hmm. could capture that. So it'll be interesting to see how that can push everything else. It kind of, you know, to kind of go back to what you're saying, I feel like almost that Biden was, is kind of like, if he ends up being the the nod, it's kind of like, He's the Band-Aid in this Democratic Party, which needs a lot of work.
0: <laughs> it needs a tourniquet. Yes, yes, <laughs> Not yes. That's just a Band-Aid. Yes. So what, what do you say to somebody, for example, let's, let's, let's be more specific, somebody mm-hmm. who is a longtime peace activist and says, I can't vote for Joe Biden. He supported the Iraq War.
1: Absolutely. I understand that. <sighs> who are you going, my first question then would be, who are you voting for for your House race and for your Senate race? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that, and I, I, I suspect you'll see people who will vote for, you know, and they may be, they may vote for a mix of candidates at local elections or or state or even congressional like, uh, mm-hmm. levels, but, but you know, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to vote for the Democratic nominee. And again, I'm not, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing the moderator here. Oh yeah, I'm moderating between you and a lot of people i'm hearing from <laughs> are saying i'm just not going to vote for joe biden if he gets the nomination
1: well and I, at the end of the day what is what really we what we really truly have to consider is that if they want something to protect you know the, the argument is we ha- you're electing more than a president and that is very true you're electing more than a president you're electing someone who's going to choose that supreme court seats yeah. And RBG is not going to live forever, although I wish she could, <laughs> you know. But you have to look at that. You have to look at the influence that the president has over um, even, even a local candidate, you know, um, throwing well, their support behind someone. Well,
0: I think the Supreme Court uh, and the courts generally, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, President Trump has— uh, appointed a lot of extremely young conservative types mm-hmm. to court positions across the spectrum. But the Supreme Court, um, yeah, well, it's called Supreme for a reason. It has a, it has a final word on a lot of these matters. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of concern right now that uh, Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned yep. in, the, in an increasingly radical right Supreme Court. And so, you know, maybe that's an argument that might persuade some of the folks who say Bernie or bust do they really want to take the chance of a Trump administration that would, um, you know, would then appoint a Supreme Court justice that would overturn Roe v. Wade?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I had a, a really inter- interesting discussion with someone who is on that boat that if Biden is the candidate not voting, they're writing in. And it's, and it's solely because the Democratic Party is so broken and, and it needs some change because they're doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. So what
0: what changes do you think the Democratic Party needs to see?
1: They they have to be willing to take a hard stance on things that they're teeter-tottering on. Like what? Uh, let's start climate change, um, social equality, um, and truly meaning what they say about supporting women in power. And I mean that because we see the Democratic Party even go after women in politics that uh, maybe don't play by their rules. Like
0: Tulsi uh, Gabbard? Would you have someone else in mind? Uh, <laughs> <But she's>, no, <nope. laughs> She's a great example.
1: I was just going to say Tulsi Gabbard. Um, yeah. You know, when we're driving in on the south side of Des Moines, her Billboard is still there. Still there. Still she's been there. long gone,
0: but her billboard's still there. Yes. But she's a great example. I mean, she is. P- people seem to either don't know or have forgotten that she has a very progressive track record. She's a, she, you know, she parted ways four years ago from the Democratic leadership, and she was the vice chair of the DNC. She parted ways to support and endorse Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the, I think that's the, uh, the root of her problem within the Democratic <laughs> establishment. I mean, we saw what Hillary Clinton did to come after her. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know she she's not the only one, but a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, believe all that and forget that she's actually very progressive. So what what I mean when you say the Democratic Party has kind of attacked strong progressive women? Other examples? I mean they, AOC. Yeah. How 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 have they attacked AOC?
1: You know she look how she was when she became elected. Just even her mannerisms, right? So being very outspoken. Um, and I think, in a very powerful way, she was very honest. She was very transparent. And now, people have forgotten who she is. And I think that I think the volumes. base the
0: base hasn't forgotten. But you see, well, I mean, I, I you no, know, I actually see more attacks on AOC and the rest of the so called squad from the Republicans, from you know Trump himself, and from other Republican operatives, I don't see as many attacks by the Democrats against them. Maybe I'm missing them.
1: Well, I don't think it's more as an attack. I think it's more of a, this is how this should be. You should be quieter. You should be, because she has become more reserved and maybe it's more, you know, she's working in Mm -hmm. her Mm -hmm. stead more. But I think that when, when you're under fire from the opposition, that means you're doing something really well. Oh, yeah. If you're sure. under fire yeah. from your opponent or from someone on the other end of the spectrum, you're doing something really well. I, I
0: had a quote, quote when I was a state legislator. I would say that if I went to bed at the end of the day and I couldn't think of somebody who I had gotten mad at me, I hadn't had a very productive day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> – Well, you, you have to do something yep. to really earn the, earn the respect of your constituents. But in the end, you're going to always you know, tick off somebody who might not like your particular – Stand.
1: Well, that's how it is with politics. These things are important to people and they're polarizing simply because people prioritize things differently. And that's never going to change about folks, no matter how, you know, people can say, vote for Biden if he gets the nod because we need to unify. I think that's a lot of crap. That's not a great stance. I think that you have to look for the greater good. Yes, the party needs help. The party needs a lot of work. But we won't ever get there Mm. without some progression. And I don't think we need to uh, go to such extremes as some folks are saying. Like, we just need to have four more years of Trump so DNC gets it.
0: Well, that's what some people are saying. And, and my, my concern there is, so uh, you get four more four years of Trump and you might usher, well, I mean, you already talked about the, the potential impact on the Supreme Court and the justice system generally. But, I mean, there, there are those who look at what's happening and they say, look, this is the path to fascism. Mm-hmm. These changes, this, this, uh, this totally uh, total rejection of the democratic systems of governance in many cases. I mean, take the, take the impeachment trial, mm-hmm. you know, an impeachment trial without witnesses. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's that, there's something wrong with that. Absolutely. Intuitively and structurally, there's something wrong with that.
1: Absolutely. You know? And you look at what they're doing now with sanctuary cities and sending folks in and say, sending border control into there. You, um, I'm sorry, not border control. That is the in, inappropriate. Yeah, label. I know what you
0: mean. Yeah. yeah I'm ice.
1: very, yes, I'm yeah. very, that is something that's very touchy to me. Um, but sanctuary cities, by definition, they're, on the local level, so I don't understand how the federal government is now coming in. But I guess that's more important when when I hear this argument that people are going to stay home and not vote. Mm-hmm. There's people on the ticket besides the president that need the vote.
0: But you don't want them just to vote for those other people. You want them to vote for whoever oh, gets the nomination against Trump.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because we have to foster change in a way that isn't going to destroy the United States. Right. And I...
0: And, you know, and I, as a talk show host, refuse to take a stand on who anybody should vote for right? Uh, because the FCC would want it any other way. <laughs> but, but, you know, beyond that, the, uh, you know, I, I think it's really important to vote.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and I also think it's
0: important to think about whether your vote is going to have an impact on the outcome of the election or is it just a symbolic vote that makes you feel better but does have no, 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 no capacity to influence change. And I say that as a, as a lawmaker. You know, I, I used to win my l- elections pretty overwhelmingly, and that was mm-hmm. partly because I was in a very, you know, solidly Democratic district. I sat between two lawmakers who were from more marginal districts,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, both Democrats. One of them had won by, uh, I think, less than about six votes. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, ten mm-hmm. or 12,000 votes cast, and you win by six votes. I think you, you could say, in that person's case, your vote matters. And, mm-hmm. the, and, and the, uh, the, the lawmaker on my other side, she won by just over hundred. So, you know, I'm sitting between two Democrats who are both progressive, and both uh, we, we share a lot of the same views. That's one reason mm-hmm. we kind of gravitated to the same you know area, seating area in the chamber. And between, you know, if you look at the, what, 25,000 votes cast in those elections, it was 150 you know, votes, roughly, that made the difference. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I think it's really important for people to realize that, yeah, you know, your yeah, vote actually does make a difference. Some will say, well, but not in a presidential election. And my one my one word answer to there is Florida.
1: Exactly. <laughs> In 2000. Exactly. And the the biggest thing to consider is that change trying to force change on an institution that doesn't want it isn't going to happen anyway. We're
0: talking about government in general or the Democratic Party?
1: Yeah, the Democratic Party. (laughs) Let's just, I mean, the government in general, you could absolutely have that argument, but I think that government in general, you can see how you can force change. And it might start at the local level, but you you can influence it.
0: So the Democratic Party is more... Structurally intransigent than the uh, U.S. government. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you could draw that conclusion. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not an absurd prospect, you know.
1: You know, I and I really think it is because it's it's collapsing within itself because it can't. It's it was so long trying to contain itself in this tiny little box of ideals, and that is what it means and what it stands. Wait, by. I, th-
0: I thought it was a big tent. It's yeah. a tiny, tiny little box.
1: No, I think it's a tiny little <laughs> box that they try to keep. This is how we should vote, and this is what our ideals and values are. But then. They started saying that this ideal or value is more important than this value, and you can't do that Mm. in our society. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you're always probably going to value climate change Well, until
0: until we finally turn it around, which we need to soon, or, I mean, Mm -hmm. I would love to move back to working on some of the issues I really care about, but Mm -hmm. none of those issues are going to matter if we don't have a planet to live on.
1: Exactly. And I will probably never change my perspective of my first concern is healthcare. Yeah. For the folks here because until we fix some of these factors like climate change and the economic disparity health is just going to continue to worsen and worsen and worsen Mm -hmm. for folks so i mean you're never going to change that um but the democratic party i think just needs to be accepting of the fact that we're never going to agree on everything so we have to do what is the greatest good for each other our family our friends those who can't vote yet or aren't able but isn't a
0: big part of the problem is the there is an element a very controlling and powerful element within the democratic party that is and you kind of mentioned this earlier too that is very tied to interests that don't want these changes in health care in climate change Mm -hmm. in in other in other spheres of 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 life that, that the majority of people want to see movement gun violence i mean and I know that issue tends to be one that is more clearly divided between the, among the parties. But, you know, the climate change is a great example. You've got the DNC, which went on record as opposing uh, the, the, the saying that they, w- they would support, you know, candidates who didn't uh, take fossil fuel money. And that's not the exact phrasing, but something mm-hmm. along those lines to reneging on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's no coincidence that the DNC, you know, receives fossil fuel money in a big way. So money that, talks. that seems to me to be the, the crux of the problem
1: money talks and, and and you know they they need the money because they need to be able to market their platform but then they're not getting the money and then when they they accept the money from the person they don't want to they are now forced to kind of follow some rules they didn't want to agree on you know so there's there's no balance there's no balance and there are, there's not going to be
0: And speaking of balance I do again depending on how the primary election goes I certainly do plan to have somebody on this uh, program who says I'm not voting for that guy because. Mm -hmm. Um, So I appreciate your perspective. Mm -hmm. And in a final word to our audience, anything you'd like to wrap it up with?
1: Vote. Don't sit at home and not vote because whoever doesn't get it. And also consider that no one's saying, at least I haven't heard in any circle, that no no one's saying, well, if Bernie gets the nod, I'm not voting.
0: Hillary Clinton came close to saying that. She did come close to saying that, but she's,
1: she was smarter, smart enough not to actually echo it. That's the thing. We can't listen to somebody who lost to Donald Trump about who to vote for for Trump, against Trump. That's
0: great advice right there. Just Brandy, saying. thanks for joining us, uh, folks. We'll be back in a few moments with uh, more conversation on the Fallon 4. We're going to talk about the uh, faith community's perspective on peace, justice, and climate change. Good food, great community.
2: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas-Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here. A quick shout-out to some of our local business partners that helped make this program possible thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe located at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's my grocery store and a fantastic place for breakfast, lunch, or supper open seven days a week. Gateway also has an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. at Story County Veterinary Clinic. And finally, thanks to Ritual Cafe located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines between Locust and Grand, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. All right, later in the program, uh, Sheila Canopolo Adole is going to join us. We're going to talk about sustainability initiatives at the local level. But right now, we're turning our attention to the Confluence of Peace, Justice, climate sustainability, uh, and in the context of how the faith community is responding to these concerns. With me is uh, Carmen Lampe Zeidler. Carmen, thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks, Ed. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. So, um, first of all, you've got an interesting event coming up involving a donkey. That always gets my attention. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. What is that about? So, we have an annual um, Palm Sunday procession and um, prayer service for peace. And we... Do bring in a donkey, uh, and it's these wonderful donkeys that are actually rescue donkeys. They come from northern Iowa.
0: Rescued from what?
3: Well, from not being taken care of. Oh, okay, all right. And so there's who knew that there's donkey neglect going on? Wow, okay. I did did not know that. Yes, so these are wonderful people bring their donkeys, and of course that is in uh, sort of we reenact or remind ourselves of the um, procession that Jesus made that we hear about in the Gospels. Um, on Palm Sunday and we do this because way back when when uh, Jesus came to Jerusalem it was Passover time right and the, he was a Jew you know Jesus was a Jew and um, so during Passover the Roman governor of that region which at that time was a man we know by name Pontius Pilate um, they mm. would the the governors would make, an appearance in Jerusalem during the Jewish festivals in order to sort of reassert their power and authority um, and their ideology. You know, the, the emperor in, in, um, in Rome was not seen only as an emperor, as a leader, but also as a son of God. And so the whole ideology around empire is the authority on the planet. Okay,
0: so, so in some ways you're saying the, the, the march into Jerusalem, Jesus on a donkey, was a political statement, not just a convenient means of transportation. Right. right. Okay, and so this, um, this procession that is planned, uh, again, here in Des Moines, and I believe there's probably similar things happening elsewhere in the country. I maybe assume not? so. Yeah. I, I don't but, know. We, but, but,
3: we've been doing this maybe a dozen years. Wow,
0: and this has a similarly, it's, it's a very spiritual statement, mm-hmm. but it has a, a kind of a, 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 a commentary on government.
3: Absolutely. An
0: empire, as you said. Yes.
3: Yeah. So in, in making this procession, we um, reenact Jesus coming in. So in another part of Jerusalem, the imperial procession would have been happening. With, oh, yeah. With the governor, with the uh, soldiers on horseback, foot soldiers, helmets, armor. All the good banners stuff. Banners with gold <laughs> eagles on it. All that stuff would have been happening in another part of the city. And the people who, who heard this story, wrote this story, knew that was happening. And so when Jesus comes in in another way with a donkey. Pretty humble. With, with, humble with the everyday people coming along with him and reacting to his presence and, and what he, they knew of him, which was a whole different way of being in the world. We're sort of reminding ourselves of that, that, mm. that empire in the way that the Romans and other governments, um, present themselves is not the way that we, as people of faith, as people who um, look to connection with the source or the one known by many names or however you want to say that, to one another. Mm-hmm. That's We have a different way of, of operating in the world. And so this is a reminder of that.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, it's hard not to miss the comparison uh, between Rome and the U.S., two very powerful empires uh one with a lot more te- technology technology and a lot more firepower than the other uh i mean instead of um you know you know uh, well-uniformed uh uh soldiers on horses we have drones mm-hmm. and um interestingly it's the same part of the world where we're seeing a lot of the a uh, lot of the conflict right. and a lot of the uh, expression of empire being played out and um I, I guess you know there are some people for whom maybe that's uncomfortable to confront that level of um, political reality in the context of a spiritual holiday. But how do you how do you address that uh, that that um, that that tension?
3: Well, I don't know that we address. Adru- adri- I don't know that we do address the tension. Ed. We just are making a statement that war is not an answer. Mm-hmm. That um, we need more connection to one another, uh, more connection to the earth. Um, more understanding that we truly are one mm. and so this procession and the prayer service that follows it has just been more of a statement and people want to make that statement in their own mm. lives and their own communities of faith that um, we don't put in with the empire we don't right. put in with drones and and with the way of war but we put in with the way of peace and love mm. and connection
0: so it's not, it's a positive statement about the importance of uh, diplomacy and peace, but also a critical statement about the uh, the use of drones and the use of uh, military force to exercise power in the Middle East. Yes. And yes. what about what about the uh, the confluence of peace and climate? In, I mean, I, to me that's been very uh, painfully and obviously manifest in Syria, where you've got uh, you know we, we've had ter- terrible drought problems that have exacerbated uh, wars, a civil war. You know, again, enabled by a very powerful and corrupt dictator. Mm. But um, you, is that is that um, among the organizations and churches that are involved with this uh, this event, is that a growing concern? Anything, any any perspective on that?
3: So last year's um, Palm Sunday procession and prayer service for peace had a focus on climate justice, mm. and um, so yes, we very much see that yeah. as one as one piece of or a hole. It's a hole. And um, so we know that the U.S. military has a incredible carbon footprint. Um, we know that, again, um, what we do to the earth, we do to one another. And so it's not, you know, for me and for many, climate justice is not just about where we get our energy or emissions. It's about how we're connected to one another mm. and how we understand that what happens in Syria
1: mm-hmm.
3: has an impact on where we live and the people we love. and the So it's all connected. And I think that is at the heart of spirituality, at the heart of religion, that we are connected to one another. And that relationship between self and other Drive so much in the world. So, and
0: this event has been going on for twelve years. And who are the key organizational sponsors?
3: Well, the main sponsor is the Des Moines Faith Committee for Peace. Okay. And we've, and then we invite congregations, other peace groups, to support. So, I suppose there are about forty other wow. organizations that okay. come in as, a, as sponsors.
0: And have you noticed uh, much difference in terms of the, uh, the, 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 the escalation of war? between the current administration and the previous administration? Because if you've been doing this for 12 years, you probably started at about the time the Obama administration kicked off.
3: Well, and actually, as I, you know, I I threw out 12 years. It was before that. Of course, the the Des Moines Faith Committee for Peace started right after 9-11. Right. And we started our services then. Okay. So this goes back even longer. Yeah, yeah, the the effort goes back even longer. Mm -hmm. And um, so... So the the Palm Sunday procession for peace and it really probably happened started happening during hmm. the George W. Bush administrations but continued yeah. has continued
0: did you see any improvement in during the Obama years?
3: Well, I think we didn't feel like we were maybe uh, it was more subtle what was going on now we feel like we're on the brink of you know war with Iraq you know it's just been with the current administration hmm. it's been so much more. In your face, um, precipitating
0: yeah. Yeah, clearly, uh, yeah. reneging on the Iran, uh, you know, nuclear deal, mm-hmm. had to be a step backwards for sure. diplomacy. Sure, yeah,
3: but also during the diploma- during the Obama years, um, we also have a had a service during that time um, on the Feast of the Holy Innocents in mm-hmm. December, December twenty eighth, I believe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and one of those years the focus was on drone warfare, and how that, and trying to educate ourselves about things we may not hear so much about, but are going on in our name.
0: Hmm. Well, I really appreciate you joining us. And again, uh, tell people who are in the uh, Des Moines area when and where the uh, procession will occur.
3: So it is uh, Palm Sundays, April 2nd. Um, We start at the West Terrace of the Capitol, and we're walking this year to Capitol Hill Lutheran Church, which is about five blocks, downhill. So With a donkey. And with a donkey. A well-behaved one. Yeah, two. Usually we have two donkeys because they mm-hmm. like to have a friend. <laughs> um, so we'll start up there gathering about 2.30, start the procession at 3.00. The service mm-hmm. at Capitol Hill start at 3.30. Great. Well, thank yeah. you for joining us. Thanks, Ed.
0: Folks, we're talking with Carmen Lampe Zeitler. And uh, stay tuned for part two of this conversation about the intersection of peace, justice, climate, and the uh, faith community. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by, or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining.
2: Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to The Fallon Forum. My guest for this segment is Patty McKee, with the Catholic Peace Ministry. Uh, Des Moines is noted for a tremendous uh, peace movement, not just Des Moines, but Iowa in general. And there's a lot of reasons for that, a strong presence of peace churches, um, a uh, you know an economy that has not been that dependent upon um, military bases and um, and uh, military construction, but also um, a bishop years ago named Bishop Morris Dingman, who, was uh, noted nationally and around the world for his uh, stalwart commitment to peace at a time when it wasn't all that popular among the Roman Catholic hierarchy. And with me today to talk about um, a an event coming up in his honor is uh, Patty McKee.
4: Hi. Welcome to the show, Patty. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So the Dingman Peace Award.
4: Yes. Um, this is our 25th award. It was um, started... Um, to honor local peace activists, and we've been doing that for 25 years. And um, this year, our honoree is Carla Dawson, who is a longtime peace activist, and um, she was also a community member at the Catholic Worker here in Des Moines. And she is now a teacher and a mentor, and works um, within the school system, but through another organization. Um, and she has been on boards for War Resisters League and um, for a group that works with people coming out of prison, uh, among many other things, Legal Aid Society.
0: Someone I know very well and who I admire, who has done an amazing amount of work, uh, not just uh, in terms of peace but in terms of uh, justice, in terms of um, making sure that uh, people in Iowa's poor, especially Des Moines' poorer communities, are not Mm -hmm. neglected. Yes. So, and that seems to be a pretty uh, common and important theme to the Dingman Dinner over the years Yes, and to Catholic Peace Ministry as well. It's not just about peace. It's about that intersection with peace and justice.
4: Right, exactly. That you really can't have peace without having justice because if people aren't having their needs met if um, they don't have the resources they need to live a decent life, then eventually it's going to lead to conflict. And also tied in with that these days is climate change, mm. as you were talking earlier about the situation in Syria. Um, I think we're just going to be seeing that more and more. Part of the reason why people are coming to the United States from Central America is because of climate change.
0: Drought down and, there as well. Yes. Right. And
4: right. um and so people are being stressed, they need to be able to find some place where they can sustain themselves in this time of climate change. And it's probably not going to be Miami. Probably not.
0: <laughs> I mean, there there are plenty of places in the U.S. that are very uh, much in the crosshairs of the uh, growing amount of climate uh, chaos, and yes, and South South Florida is uh, is, is certainly part of it. And uh, yes. I, I mean, you look at some of the uh, areas out west that are prone to fire, and I think well. How much worse is that going to get, too?
4: Well, and also yeah. our Mississippi and Missouri River valleys. Yeah,
0: in Iowa, that's our that's our climate. Woe is the uh, yeah, the, the near constant flooding yes. on the uh, on our two borders. Yes. So, um, just a little bit more about about Bishop Dingman. A lot. Yes. Um, there may be people who uh, don't remember him. He was uh, he died oh, quite a few years ago now. It's been a while. In the
4: in the nineties. Nineties, yeah. And um, he was a very he was very much a Vatican II um, Bishop, many reform. Yes, reform. reform. And he, um, he was very concerned about peace. He was part of the bishop's uh, council that um, came out with a statement against nuclear weapons uh, back in the 80s. And um, and then he also had a great concern for refugees that had come to Iowa. He actually uh, shared housing with them. He um, instead of living in the uh, right. mansion that um, was for the bishop, he um, had a house where he lived in part of it, well, and refugees lived in other much part to of the it.
0: dismay of subsequent bishops who fancied the idea of living in a big mansion. Uh, mm, yeah, bishop Dingman, kind of a they. I believe he sold it and moved into fairly modest accommodations, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, again, you know, the the church, the Catholic church has not really been a bastion of progressive thought or action, generally speaking. And Bishop Dingman was very much involved with uh, a lot of, uh, you know, very edgy peace causes at the time.
4: Yes. Um, He back... I don't know exactly which year it was, but he went to the SAC Air Force Base in Omaha and was part of the peace demonstration there.
0: And oftentimes people are being arrested at that demonstration. Was he arrested?
4: I don't remember.
0: Yeah. Um, My recollection is not, but I can't say yeah, for sure either. Yeah, but he yeah. was
4: supportive of those that, that Did were. that get him
0: in trouble with the the higher-ups?
4: Um, there were definitely people that didn't like like it I really I don't know as far as people the cardinals and things above him but um, there were people within the diocese that weren't happy about it
0: so again Carla Dawson receiving this year's award Mm -hmm. um, and uh, again well known in the local community but perhaps not uh, beyond Des Moines but she's done uh, for those who may not know her she's done an amazing amount of work
4: Yes. Uh,
0: yes. I, she came to the Catholic Worker, if my, if my recollection is correct. She came to the Catholic Worker herself as a homeless person.
4: Yes, she did, with yeah. her son.
0: Yeah, and the and the Catholic Worker is noted for, uh, again, they do a great job at bridging, bringing justice and peace together, because they're there to provide meals and other services to people who are down and out, and poor, homeless, uh, in, in in great need, and yet there's always that that uh, that that uh, ability to connect with the. The military-industrial complex, as Eisenhower called it, and to point out the the way in which um, militarism and war is uh, impacting, um, you know, low-income people and right. poverty even here at home.
4: Well, for every weapon that is built, that is money that's not going towards healthcare, towards housing for people, schools, uh, yeah. schools, mm. all those, and and towards fixing climate change. But well, it's
0: quite a story, you know. You you arrive at a homeless shelter, uh, homeless with your son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, re- I remember meeting her when she arrived. She was loud and obnoxious. Uh, <laughs> I said, wow, that woman is loud and obnoxious. But she, um, she's still kind of loud, but she's not obnoxious anymore. <laughs> but that loudness has been turned into a gift, a blessing that has really yes. done a lot of good work for a lot of people who... Who you know are are in the situation that she might have been in a couple of decades ago. Yes. Yeah. So yes. it's really a well well deserved award. I'm I'm really pleased to see that. Yes. Yeah.
4: And then our speaker is um, the executive director of Pax Christi USA, uh, Johnny Zokovich. Johnny uh, Zokovich.
0: Zokovich. Okay.
4: And he um, he also comes from a Catholic worker background. He mm-hmm. was um, the Gainesville, Florida Catholic worker for 15 years, I think it was, before he started working for Pax Christi USA, which is a progressive, um, peace and justice group, um, aligned with the Catholic church. And, um, we're excited to have him here to speak and, um, I think he will make a good presentation. We're asking him to kind of tie together, since this is the 75th anniversary of the bombings of Hiroshima mm, and Nagasaki. Right, right. And also that our the current administration is calling for more new nuclear weapons yeah um that this is a time to really call um attention mm-hmm. to that because as i said earlier whatever goes into weapons is not being used for human needs i think
0: the, the catholic peace movement does a great job at bringing in uh, speakers of national significance and and well well known across the country to this event so mm-hmm. Congratulations on that as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so hey, just uh, so in case people want to know more about the event, what are they, where do they go? What do they do?
4: Uh, yes, you can go to email at CatholicPeaceMinistry. Um, excuse me, Catholicpeaceministry at gmail.com. Or call at 515-803-1152 for tickets for the event. They're 803-1152. $50. Mm-hmm.
0: Tickets are $50? dollars mm-hmm. Okay. And they support? Scholarships are available. And they support the work at the Catholic Peace Ministry? Yes. All right. Very good. And it's uh, the date of the event is? It's March 28th. Okay. Very good. At
4: well, Holy Trinity Catholic Church all right.
0: in Thanks for joining us, Patty. Mm-hmm. Thank Folks, you. we've been talking with Patty McKee of the Catholic Peace Ministry. We'll be back in a few minutes. Sheila Canoplo Adoli is going to join us. We're going to talk about local sustainability initiatives on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street,
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Hey, a quick shout out to some of the local entities that make this program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper, open seven days a week, my grocery store. And they've also got a catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Bold Iowa, an Iowa-based climate organization working to stop the expansion of the Dakota Access Pipeline and to raise awareness about the accelerating climate crisis. And finally, thanks to Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Learn how to turn your, din- your lawn into dinner. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, welcome to the program, I'm Sheila canoplo Adole, a lawyer here in Des Moines, who also is very active on sustainability issues, including the Des Moines Sustainability Task Force. Sheila, welcome to the show.
5: Thanks, Ed. It's nice to be here. Yeah,
0: so we see kind of a log when it comes to action on climate change at the federal level, at the state level. It seems anymore like where it's really happening is at the local level.
5: Yeah, I would say that's definitely the case. And certainly the local level is where um, anyone who wants to make a difference can actually have an impact. And that's part of the reason why I'm involved with the Citizen Task Force on Sustainability here in Des Moines.
0: And the the task force recently was able to pass what's called a a, a benchmark relevant to um, energy use by larger buildings.
5: That's correct. We passed uh, an energy and water benchmarking ordinance, or we helped to pass. um, And I was actually part of the... Uh, advisory committee on the energy policy task force for that that helped sort of write the ordinance itself. Um, we looked through several plans from other uh, cities around the country and picked out the elements that we felt were relevant to Des Moines. And then you know of course it had to be um, that, that, weighed and that, balanced yeah. by the council and other and
0: then the opposition came out, <laughs> stakeholders. Right? Yeah, yes,
5: yeah. we call them stakeholders. Um, but, uh, the, the good news is that we did get an ordinance passed Mm -hmm. and while perhaps it wasn't as strong as we would have liked to have seen, it does require those initial baby steps of measuring our energy and water use for buildings above 25,000 square feet. And then by, um, measuring that over time, we can find, um, what we can locate what buildings are maybe not as energy or water efficient, and then we can find resources to help them improve their overall um, uh, performance.
0: And, and again, this this sort of initiative is happening all across the country. I I know in Miami there is a lot of a lot of a local initiative to figure out how to respond to climate change there because that's such a severe threat.
5: Yeah, that's true. Um, we looked at plans from. You know california to the east coast and one of the things that we saw that we um have been very adamant about uh trying to um convince our leaders to do is to hire a full-time sustainability coordinator is that going to happen it actually is going to happen they have been taking applications and, um, we should know hopefully in a month or a month and a half who that person is going to be. Um, and one of the interesting things that we found out as we were looking into this was that, uh, between cities who have and who don't have a full-time, uh, s- staff person, um, focused on sustainability issues, those who have it, um, improve their overall right. performance a lot sure. faster than those who don't. Sure. And two comparative cities that I think are very interesting are St. Paul and Minneapolis. Oh, con- and,
0: conveniently located right next to each other. That's right. So let me guess and, Minneapolis has one, St. Paul doesn't?
5: Actually, I think it's the other way really? around. Okay. Yeah, surprisingly, um but Min- I could be wrong, but okay. I'm pretty sure that St. So, Paul has one, Minneapolis doesn't. And, and
0: there, there's a notable difference in terms of that particular city's commitment to sustainability.
5: I well, I guess you know whether to talk about their commitment uh, you know the, being willing to hire someone uh, full time to as a sustainability coordinator I think suggests a stronger commitment than right. without it and you know uh, we've been seeing that St. Paul has been reaching their climate goals faster. Mm, okay. so interesting. yeah so what's
0: next in Des Moines? I mean there's so I mean the estimate is that we're running out of time. And no matter how how, where you want to actually peg it, whether it's 2025, 2030, 2050, we have limited time to turn this thing around, to decrease, to decrease the uh, ever escalating amount of greenhouse gas emissions, to begin to create the kind of resilience in our local communities that, where people can respond to this stuff. Right. And, and is it, you know, it looks to me like Des Moines and other cities have got to work pretty fast and pretty hard.
5: Well, make progress. I would say that's absolutely true. And, you know, I wish that everybody understood that urgency because then I think we would move faster. Um, one of the things that the task force has been advocating for is a climate action plan, mm. an actual written plan. Mm-hmm. And um, we mm-hmm. did some initial work on that uh, with Eric Giddens and his students at UNI. And they uh, did a greenhouse gas uh, inventory for the city of Des Moines, so we kind of have a baseline mm-hmm. now of the amount of greenhouse gas productions for Des Moines, and you know, that's there's that saying that you can't manage what you don't measure. So mm-hmm. you know, we have to have a baseline, and we have to be measuring, and that will allow us to identify priorities and projects that will help bring down our, especially our energy costs and mm-hmm. our water consumption.
0: Now, some cities are talking about. Uh About you know, owning their own power. I know in Iowa City right now, there's, well, this is more of a collaborative effort between Iowa City and the uh, utility monopoly Mm -hmm. to create a a large solar uh, field. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there's more and more pressure to try to shift as much as possible from fossil fuels to solar and wind and geothermal. Is that being discussed here in Des Moines as well?
5: it is being discussed sort of peripherally um i don't (laughs) i don't think well you know i think um there's a lot of um anxiety about um stepping on the toes of our monopoly utilities i believe and um you know certainly at the task force we have been discussing uh, doing some solar projects even pilot projects in the city Mm -hmm. of des moines um and there's another great opportunity as well. the the In the East Village, there is the um, Market District.
0: Right, right. That's a new area just kind of south of the main East Village part. Right. Yeah.
5: It, it encompasses about nine blocks, I believe, I want to say east of uh, the uh, police station down there. And um, there's a great opportunity to include all kinds of energy efficient um, and alternative um, um resources. And it's there. easier
0: to work with a blank slate than to uh, take, you know, an existing development that's not very sustainably designed, and right? Try to, and try to retrofit it. That's, right, that's more and of a you challenge. know, one we of need the, to do both. But exactly, kind
5: of and and one of the really great examples we have here in Iowa it was is the city of West Union. They got a Main Street grant, and they had to do. Um, they mm-hmm. had no stormwater infrastructure, so they had to put input stormwater infrastructure and while they were doing that they also added geothermal well wow. It's so, a
0: little town in uh, Fayette County.
5: E, that's right, in yeah. northeast Iowa, yeah, yeah. and they've been hugely successful with that. Um, and so, you know, we think that geothermal might it might there might be an opportunity to put geothermal in the market district, right, okay. since they're going to be digging up everything anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a lot of different things that that need to be done. You know, a climate plan includes all kinds of. Um, categories of areas that we are going to need to look at to ensure resilience in our communities what about
0: food independence food resilience
5: right exactly and food is uh, you know food is at the cross-section of so many of these issues Um, what we eat can really impact climate and uh, you know because it takes so much energy to grow crops so much fossil fuels in the inputs and that kind of thing the more we can get back to say regenerative and or organic production um, you know the less of those inputs we need Um, and i think that uh, one of the things that we're going to really have to step up is our urban farming
0: Right. Well, you're yeah, a big, big fan here. Yeah, <laughs> right. With uh, birds so, and
5: bees uh, happening, you know, very, very uh, yeah, and strongly I was, here. Yeah, I was involved with
0: community gardens for a long time, too. And uh, it just seems like there's so much land in Des Moines, and this is probably true of most cities, that are just going to waste. It's, uh, And I, sometimes waste involves an, 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 an abandoned property. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it involves just a, a huge swath of grass on a, on a bedrock of clay <laughs> it's not really producing anything of, of value and just in, involving some cost in terms of mowing and maintenance.
5: Right, absolutely. And, you know, Des Moines has this blitz on blight um, initiative that it's, it's trying to undergo and, and undertake. And, um, you know, one of my ideas is that if you know, if there's several properties that are blighted properties, let's let's just you know tear down the structures and let's um, build up the soil and make that a, a urban farm. And urban farm, I think of urban farm as different than a community garden.
0: Yes, it is because so. you
5: know we I think we see this quite often with community gardens when people get busy. Um, the, the garden gets the abandoned. The produce goes to you waste, you know, yeah. and yeah. or it becomes overgrown with weed, weeds and um, <laughs> weed or weeds, <laughs> weeds. <laughs> okay, uh, weeds. Um, just want to make sure I knew what you're talking about. You know, that. the the food kind, uh, or the non-food kind. Um, but um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I distracted <laughs> no, that you there. Was... You just distracted me. <laughs> no, um, you know, one of the things that we've learned is that. Uh, urban areas are going to have to grow 40 to 60 percent of the food that they consume mm-hmm. within their urban boundary um, because we're going to see climate change is going to bring all kinds of disruptions. It's going to bring yeah. um, crop disruption, crop failure. It's going to bring transportation disruption so we're not going to be able to get our food from so far away I would think reliably. you would want to
0: eventually shoot for growing 100% of your food
5: locally well I, possible, yeah you know? absolutely you know um the climate d- depends you know uh, uh depends on what you can grow in any given area so some things you know if you want them you're not going to be able to grow them locally but
0: well we're gonna have chocolate
5: and bananas, yeah. you know, and coffee. <laughs>
0: that's where the that's but... where the botanical center and those big greenhouses come from. <laughs> right, right, exactly, right, right. exactly. Yeah, but no, no, seriously, we don't need those foods. Well we are gonna have to be able to grow the food products we need to serve.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, back to urban farming, we have to have a system that actually uh has Farming as a business within the city limits. Right. And we have
0: some of that going on in Des Moines. We do. We oh. have
5: a couple of different places that are doing it. Certainly, uh, you know, Birds D- and Bees Gardens is doing it. Dog Patch Farm is doing it. We've got Sweet Tooth Farms. Um, I think there's a couple Grade of others. A. Yeah. Grade A, yeah. that was one. And also um, the Lutheran Services of Iowa has their Global Greens program right. where they uh, help... Immig- uh, new immigrants uh, get into farming in Iowa, uh, people who are right. who have refugees from other countries. Yeah. I know,
0: you know Detroit is an example of a city that was hit really, really hard by uh, the ab- abandonment of uh, employment and in, in the industrial base and the the, the the spreading of urban blight. And my understanding is, I have not been there, but what I've heard is that there's been a tremendous resurgence, not just of the... The, the artistic community who was able to buy houses and and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and use those as a base of, of operation. But, but a lot of those vacant lots have become productive uh, green spaces.
5: I've heard that, too. And I haven't looked into it too much. So I don't know to what extent, um, you know, they've been successful. But certainly, you know, I think it's an idea whose time has come. And mm-hmm. it's applicable to any city that has blighted areas. And I think all cities probably do. so. Yeah. You know, so. it's a good way to solve two problems at once. Um, another initiative that I wanted to make sure to mention um, regarding sustainability in Des Moines, it, we've just started what's called the RAIN Campaign Initiative.
0: RAIN Campaign? RAIN
5: Campaign. Can it make it
0: rain less so the Missouri River doesn't flood?
5: Yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. no. What is the RAIN Campaign? The RAIN Campaign um, is an initiative uh, to help with, you know, we had the terrible flash flooding a couple of summers ago, mm-hmm. and so the idea is to help with that. By um, Des Moines is is has funding to fund up to 50 percent up to two thousand dollars worth of water improvements to personal property to residences and commercial areas and they have a whole list of you know things that you can implement and Hmm. so we're talking about things like rain barrels um, redirecting your downspouts rain gardens Hmm. planting native plants that are deep rooted um there's a a deep deep aeration we're going
0: to have to have a whole separate conversation about that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely.
5: Yeah. And <laughs> the person at the uh, Metropolitan Planning Organization that, if people want more information on that, is okay. um, Allison Van Pelt. Okay, very good. So um,
0: So thanks for that, joining, uh, Sheila. Uh, Sheila yeah. Canoplo-Adole has joined us here, folks. She's a lawyer here in Des Moines and works with the uh, Citizens Task Force on Sustainability. Yep. We're going to have, to have you back to talk more about water. Okay. Thanks for tuning in today's program, folks. If you want to follow the Fallon Forum on uh, our, our website, there's a podcast up every Tuesday. Also, the show is re on uh, 89.1 FM in Ames and KICI in Iowa City and also states uh, stations around the country. Uh, thanks again, and uh, tune, us, tune in to us next week as well.